Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Today, we're joined by a special guest. It's Yana Thomas. Hello. Um, So we got you in for this episode because um, it was with Chase Jarvis and... You I think and I, I insisted, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you and I had just read his new book. This is not a sponsored episode, but like we do talk a lot about his book in this episode. But I think that's just because it's really good. Yeah, I think it comes down to that thing of, of delivering value. And for me, that, that book kind of brought a lot of value to me as a creative. And I really strongly thought that it would bring a lot of value to our listeners as well. Yeah, I think so. So I've, I've listened to it back and there's there's a lot in there. and And the book goes into like real depth. So I think one thing that really struck me was this idea of creativity being a muscle that you flex and that it's not um, it's not something that's bestowed on a lucky few that some people are born with it and some people are not born with it. And we talk to a lot of people who say, oh, I'm, I'm just not creative. I'm just not creative at all. And we always say that's that's not true. Everyone is creative. And this idea, this notion of creativity being a muscle that you flex, it's not infinite. It's not going to run out. The more you use it, the more it will grow. Um, I think that's a really lovely poetic way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the parallel for it being a muscle is just like if you think about the gym, if and because it's locked down, I have not been to the gym for ages. <laughs> it's like oh, I have not been flexing those muscles. So I'm out of shape. That's exactly the same with your creativity. You've got to use it or lose it. Yeah. And if you use it, you'll be amazed at how quickly the ideas start to generate, you know, generate themselves, um, how quickly ideas come from nowhere. You think think when you sat down, you had no ideas and you just started with a pencil and you started doodling. And by the time you finished that drawing session or whatever it is, you've got ideas of your next project coming left, right and centre. I think one of the best things about that is mistakes. Mm. So for me, like I've been, I've had so much time to like really work on my own paintings, like not not commercials projects or anything like that. I've been painting a lot during lockdown and like through just repetitive action and, and doing the same things over and over again, but pushing out of comfort, comfort zones and experimenting, you do start to make mistakes. And sometimes I think we we run away from mistakes and we're told that mistakes are bad. And it's like, there's such a learning opportunity, either that they tell you never to do that thing again, <laughs> which um, I mean, so you'll know that that happened to me yesterday when I had a painting go completely wrong and I ended up just covering it up with emulsion because- Never speak of it again. I, we will never talk <laughs> of it again. It was the absolute worst. I hated it. So you've got those kind of mistakes, which you don't really want, but then you've got the happy accidents where stuff happens that you weren't planning for, but because you're trying new stuff, it's all of a sudden it can open up a whole other direction for you. Also, um, and this is the kind of mistake that happens more commonly to you it's not often that you you kind of get into a mess where you where you can't do anything but paint over it what happens to you a lot is that you get to a point in a painting where you feel like you've gone wrong and you can't get through it but by pushing through that that's how you learn and grow and develop as an artist well like we're we're analyzing me and having a a therapy (laughs) session but yeah you are right i do this is this weird phenomenon that every time i'm halfway through a painting i forget that i can paint and i think that the painting is going to be absolutely dreadful by the time we're finished and 
it's been a long process of I, I now have to remind myself halfway through a painting, like this will turn out all right. Like even if you at the end of it, you want to kind of change it and and you're not 100 percent happy with it. I will never be to that stage where I am the perfect creator, the perfect artist, because I think if you get to that stage, then you've you're done because like what what are like look at artists who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s still making work. They've not reached the pinnacle yet. They're not like, okay, I'm the best art. Because then you just put your brushes down and stop, wouldn't you? I don't think it ever happens. But I do think it's really reassuring um, as a creative. And I'm sure other creatives out there find it as well. Quite reassuring to know that you hit that point in the middle of every painting where you start doubting yourself as a painter. And that's quite a regular thing. Because I think that self-doubt is not something that we associate with the artists that we see who are artists. Um, you know, that that's what they do for their career. We don't expect people who are artists as a career to have that self-doubt constantly. I suppose I've only really been able to actually um, recognise it in in doing the podcast and through talking to all the creators that all suffer with very similar type of stuff. So I think no matter, like whenever you look at someone else's work, because you've not done it, there's always this sort of sense of magic about it. Yeah. Whereas you don't just don't get that with your it own just stuff. appeared. Yeah. Similarly with um, something we've been talking about recently as well is is finding your own style um, and finding your own niche within the creative industry. Yeah, finding your style is, is one of those things that we do get asked about it quite frequently. And it's, it's not an easy answer because it only comes through continual trial and error and building on what you've done previously. Because it's like, so we've we've got an episode coming up soon with with Kellyanna. Mm. Um, we interviewed her live at an event before lockdown, and it it was when you hear her break down everywhere that she's come from, you then see it in her work. So she studied ballet. She was a um, she she used to do like fashion drawings and like that fusion of sport and fashion. When you look at her stuff, you can see like, okay, you've you've taken bits from every single place that you've been, but you only can do that once you've been to those places. So for someone to sit down and then copy Kellyanna's style, it, it's like you, you can't do that because you haven't been to those places. You need to bring what's unique to you because I think one of the hardest things that I struggled with as a young artist was realizing that I like my journey is completely unique no matter how like humdrum because to you it seems well boring because it's you've just been living it and so you don't see it as remarkable or, or extraordinary at all but when you actually kind of realize okay i've taken this from here and this from here and this from here and put it all together it's like there's elements of tattooing in my painting there's there's elements of me breaking the law for 10 years in my painting like there's mm. there's all of those elements and that's my unique story and no one else can replicate that they have to bring their elements yeah that's something we talk about quite a lot actually isn't it it's, it's the only thing that you can bring to your creative enterprise or business or whatever it is that you're trying to do that the, there's only one thing that you can bring that's completely unique and that is you as a person um, and there might be 10 people doing the same business slash creative enterprise as you but none of them are you. And that's the only unique thing that you can bring. And that, like you say, it's, it's, it's the myriad of experiences you've had throughout your life. Um, and that's, again, why, you know, lots of artists learn how to create by imitating other people. Um, that's an important part of being an artist is realising what's gone before you and, and taking inspiration from that. Um, there's a book I've mentioned before called um, Still Like an Artist, which is really, really helpful um, in discussing that process. But you're not stealing with the intent of just 
ripping someone off you're learning and growing by imitating but you're bringing your own personal perspective to it which is really valuable yeah i think it's really interesting what you said there about how you'll you'll have competition who is maybe producing a very similar product to you and i think because you said you might do like i think it's inevitable that you will people will yeah. yeah i like whatever it is you do there's probably someone else who's doing a similar style or or is going for the same clients or or whatever it might be and I think the way that you differentiate yourself from those people is by getting across your uniqueness and your story. Because when someone then comes to buy, if they're looking to get something of that style, they're going to come to the person that they feel most familiar with. Chase talk, talks about have trying different things out in your toolkit of creativity and trying lots of different things out, not limiting yourself and saying you have to do one but contrasting that with having to focus a little bit on the one thing that you want to make successful, even if you have lots of different creative practices outside of that, is not being a starter, not a finisher, not starting 17 projects, um, which is something I'm guilty of doing, is starting 17 projects and not finishing any of them. And, and that for me was quite a valuable thing to, to recognise in myself, that I need to learn to finish things and not just start things. That's interesting that you you say that about Chase specifically as well, because when we've been doing our talks recently, Adam's come up with this like um, diagram that's uh, basically a tree and you you try lots of things in the beginning, which is the roots. You pick one thing and that's the trunk and you do that for a sustained period of time. And then at the end of that sort of five, six, seven years in, you can then start to spread out with the branches and try other new things again as well. Mm. And I think when you look at Chase's career, it's such a perfect example of that, that he tried a bunch of different things when he was younger. So he was a football player and he was going to go to medical school and all of that sort of stuff. And eventually found photography went and photography became the trunk of his tree. And, but now he's got creative live. He's an author. He's a speaker. He does a podcast. It's like now he's got all of the branches, but that's built on his foundation of success as a photographer, which he found and doubled down on. And, and rather than like, if he was trying to start creative live while he was also being a photographer, like in the, in the beginning of his career, both would have failed. Yeah, Really great analogy. I love it. Well, Adam is the king of analogies. So um, <laughs> he is so, that. Yeah, he, he does join us on this episode um, as well because he was our, our tech guy. Um, so it was just going to be you and me, but he was there. So I said, you can buy in as well if you want. Yeah, uh, this was a great episode. So this week's guest is Chase Jarvis. Chase Jarvis is an entrepreneur, a speaker, a content creator, a photographer, and most importantly, a creative. Chase was heading for a job in medicine following the career path that was expected of him. But with the passing of his grandfather, Chase inherited some photography equipment and decided to change direction and follow his creative calling. Chase went on to become a world-renowned photographer and the founder of multiple successful businesses. In this episode, we talk about creative calling, designing your life, and being stuck. Everyone has been stuck. And the difference between those that stay stuck and those that move through this thing is action. Imperfect, un precise, not pretty action. So I have followed your content for a long time and you've obviously, you've been making sort of like similar kind of ethos and message. You've been banging that drum for kind of longer than we have, but I am like obsessed with it. And I think you are too. Like, why do you think that we're obsessed with this sort of stuff? I suppose it's like potential 
like seeing that people could go so much further, why do you think there's something in us that wants to like unlock people and tell them about that? That's a great question. If I'm thinking in my heart of hearts, it's that I have experienced it myself personally, that unlocking of various aspects of myself, my ability, my performance, and it just feels so fulfilling and connecting and inspiring and motivating when you can tap into the thing that you're supposed to be doing and when you can unlock some piece of yourself that had been um, dormant at some period in the past. And for me, when I experience that, like this is a thing that I want to give to others because it feels so good to be doing the thing that you're put on this earth to do and to be enjoying yourself. Like, you know, fulfillment and happiness are really key aspects of life. And to me, this has been a path for me to experience and connect with that. So if I can give that to others, to me, that's a life well lived. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely a similar sort of uh, answer for us if we were to be be put on the spot with that. And why do you think that so many people, because we use the word unlocking and we've experienced it ourselves. Why do you think so many people are locked in the first place? Well, I spent the better part of three or four years writing a book called Creative Calling. And in that book, I chronicle my own journey and my understanding of the journeys of hundreds of people that I've had on my podcast and that have appeared on the Creative Live platform. Um, of which I'm the founder and CEO. But in, in deconstructing my own successes and failures and experience and, and those of many of the top performers in the world, I found a really consistent programming, a, a messaging that culture gives us about who we ought to be, what we should do. And these, the, the challenging part is this information comes from people that we respect and admire and appreciate and love deeply. In many cases, it's our peers, our, our spouse, our partner, our career counselor, our favorite teachers. They're all programming us from a very early age. I have a very clear memory of my second grade teacher telling me that I was much better at sports than art. And that absolutely shaped. And it wasn't like, oh, you crushed this poor little, you know, eight-year-old or nine-year-old or whatever, however I was at the at that time. It was like, oh, okay, I didn't feel crushed at all. I just want to, I just ran to the thing where I could, because we're all social animals, feel connected and feel um, a part of the thing that made the people around me happy. Because we're social animals, right? So this need to be unlocked, I think it's a great question. Like, well, how do we get locked up in the first place? And this programming that starts from an early age and the people who are programming you, they don't intend a bad outcome. They think they're helping you. They say, oh, this is a safe thing. This is, they just, they, they love you and they care deeply about your safety. They want you to find success and what success and safety and all those things looked like to them when you were, you know, six or eight as a full-grown adult, now they're very, very different. And unfortunately for all of us, and that's the, you know, one of the things in, in writing the book that I was able to chronicle my own programming. And it wasn't until I was like early 20s where I finally realized, wait a minute, I'm going down these paths. And I've, I'm hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I'm not happy because I'm... Pre- and these are all things that society, like I was going to be a professional soccer player, a footballer in the UK universe. And I, I didn't, I, had, I lost interest, but everyone around me, it's like, if you can play professional football, why, and why would you ever not? And the same with becoming a physician and the same with being a PhD in philosophy and all these things that I was doing to get social acceptance ultimately weren't making me happy. So for anyone outside who feels blocked or this, they, they feel like they need to be unlocked, 
take it easy on yourself because this programming and the fact that you're locked up is it's part of the deal. The culture's job is to try and make you average. It's trying to put you right down the middle because it's predictable. You fit well into systems and schools and jobs. And now to me, what's exciting and empowering and why I wrote Creative Calling is more than ever before, all that's getting blown to pieces. So we need to do two things. For those of us that were programmed, we need to reinvent what we think and our mindset around who we are and what we can become. And if we're parents or leaders, we need to think about the programs and the messages that we're feeding the people who are coming in our wake. And we need to find a way to empower them and inspire them and, and give them a new landscape that, that they don't ever get locked up in. And here we are amid COVID-19 where it's early May when we're recording this. And if there's ever been a time and a need or a recognition that this needs to be reconciled, it's right now. When you've spent, maybe you're sitting here listening to this and you've spent the last 15 years making everybody else happy only to find yourself now broke, struggling to pay rent and to pay your bills or worse, sick, and not having actually tapped into the thing you were supposed to do. And to me, that is, you know, to get to the end of your life and have that feeling, that would be the worst. So let's use this moment as a catalyst towards the change that we seek. I think that's so important. And I have to say that I have read Creative Calling twice already this year. I will yes. read it many, many more times. I've actually now made it compulsory reading within our team. So yes. I've asked everyone to read it. I think it's really important. And I think that what you do so well is you collect so many things that we should already know as creatives and put them very clearly and concisely in one place. And you beat us around the head with it in a way that we can't ignore. So I recommend that people don't just read it, but read it again and again, because by the time I'd read it the second time, I'd already forgotten things that I was so convinced about the first time that I needed reminding of. Well, I appreciate the kind words and it was designed specifically for that. So it's great to hear that it's landed. And I'll just confess the reason I wrote it is because I didn't see that in the landscape. Most books on creativity are, they tend to be sort of soft and gushy and a little bit ephemeral. What creativity feels like. And my process for deconstructing, again, my own successes and failures and the successes and failures of you know, many of the world's top performers in business and sports and creativity and you know, a hundred different disciplines was that there actually is a practice that we can apply, that it's a very tactical way of thinking, being, and doing that can, you know, that, that again delivers the results. And so, you know, what has historically been, you know, creativity in the soft, fuzzy, small C sense, I wanted to write a book about creativity with a capital C in a way that made it very, very clear. So, you know, I hope the folks at home who are listening will take us up on it and take a spin. I'm, I'm, I try to respond to all the comments. And of course, that's a damn near a full-time job in itself. But um, there's a really thriving community that's built up around around the book. So thank you for the kind words. I think one of the things that I um, noticed most or that struck me most was that you say that, that creativity isn't a nice to have, it's a must have. And we deal with so many people on a daily basis that say, well, I'm not creative. I'm not creative at all. So can you delve into that a little bit more? Why, why do you say that creativity isn't a nice to have, it's a must have? Well, I think a lot of people who've come before me have chose to couch the idea of human performance or any of these things that are sort of things that are swirling around what we're talking about. They've couched it in all kinds of different vehicles. And for me, 
you know, the fundamentally what I started to understand when I deconstructed my own successes and failures and the successes and failures of others is that, you know, just the parlance is, oh, did you find success at this endeavor? When you start to understand that you don't find success, you create it. And when you start to look around and you realize that literally everything around you that you're touching, that you're experiencing, all of this stuff was created. The mug, the computer, the internet, the software that, you, that you're using right now, the, everything, the chair you're sitting in. When you realize that that was created, to me, creativity automatically pivots from this thing. Like if we can expand the idea of creativity, if it's no longer just popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners and glue and glitter and the things that we were taught when we were eight, if you understand that creativity with a capital C is combining any two new ideas, it's what literally has, has manifested everything around us. When you can redefine creativity, those people who, for example, we're co-creating this conversation right now. When you, if you say something, I'm going to respond to that. So when you start to expand the definition of creativity to me, which has been what's missing, we, we see creativity and art as the same thing. But really, art is a subset, a small subset of creativity with a capital C. When you can redefine it, that allows a lot of people who you know, don't identify as creative to, to redefine or reorient their experience around creativity. Like, oh yeah, I'm like, did you create a presentation for work today? Did you choose what you had for dinner? And did you make that dinner for your family? Did you choose what you listened to or what you played? You know, you listened to on the radio or what you played when you were sitting down in front of your instrument? Like, as soon as you can understand capital C creativity, it usually has two effects. One, it changes for those people who didn't identify as creator and then they can start to wrap their minds around it. But it also, to me, puts you on a path. And that's, again, going back to Creative Calling. The reason I wrote the book, it, there's basically like three key principles. One is if you understand what I just said about you know, expanding the definition of creativity, you can unequivocally understand that everyone is creative. And it's, it's natural. Walk into any grade one class. Who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture? How many hands go up? Every single hand. So if you can understand, if, like, if you just use that, the most simple and empirical way of understanding if, if all people or kids or humans are creative, you know, that's thing one. Thing two is that the more you get into creativity and identifying, as we just mentioned, we're co-creating this or that creating a meal this evening or creating a business, that that, that, that is a habit. It's not a skill. It's a way of operating. It's like it's a muscle that we can develop. And when I'm talking about this second principle, I like to reference Maya Angelou who said, creativity is an infinite resource. The more you use, the more you get. So if one is true, everyone's creative. It's not a stretch to understand that. Two, if you can understand like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get. Creativity is a muscle. Then point three to me, which you know, is a key aspect of the book and what I hope your listeners take away is that it's through creating anything in small daily ways. I give, you know, I've given 10 examples already. It's through creating small things on a regular basis that you actually strengthen that muscle. And that is the same muscle that we use to create our lives. It's just creativity at a, at a different scale. 
like when I personally started to experience that in my own life, you know, go back to the opening question, that it, it was a massive unlock for me. And that's part of why I wanted to couch all of this, not in human performance or in, but in creativity, because we are creating machines. That's what we're put on this planet to do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Like for me, creativity is problem solving. I feel like it's the ability to solve a problem because it's like yeah. no matter what it is, whatever the problem is, I don't know what to have for dinner tonight. And I feel like I could, I've never heard it described like a muscle before. And I think that's really acute because it's like if you get into your mind that you can solve problems, I feel like as soon as you see that in yourself, like the world becomes a very different thing because it's like other people I know will see, see something and I'll be like, I can't, that's an issue. I can't fix it. Whereas mm. as a creative person, I would say, well, how can we fix that? Like, there is a solution to that. We just need to work out what it is. It's a, that is a, a very universal way of that I would like us to understand the future of creativity. It is problem solving. It's combining, you know, unlikely things to form something new and useful. And when you're solving a problem, that's all you're really doing, right? You're mm-hmm. most most folks. Of course, we can blame on lacking resources, but ultimately what we lack is a resourcefulness. And those are very different things, lacking resources, time, money, all those things. We're actually making choices and what we're constraining is our understanding of our ability to be resourceful in the moment. And that's why sort of principle two of the book, this idea that's in, in create, or sorry, principle three, it's, it's only through creating in small ways that you understand that you can unlock creativity with the capital C in the biggest way. And it's through solving small problems, to use your analogy of creativity as solving problems. It's, it's, it's in you know, understanding that you have agency over creating what you have for dinner. It's, it's in you know, making a meal, a new meal every night for seven nights. It's in driving home a new way from work. It's in these small little rebellious acts that you also understand then. It's like, wait a minute, I'm solving these problems. What to have for dinner and which way to travel home what's the next larger problem I could solve? And what's the a problem that's larger than that? And ultimately, if you map that to your life, your life is just, uh, rather than a creative problem, it's just an opportunity to solve and to define what it is that you want to, you know, to use my vernacular, you're creating your life. You might as well make it what you want. And that's not the message, go back to the beginning of our conversation that we've been programmed with, that you need to go to this school and have these grades and then get this job. And those are all meant to keep you safe, you know, and, and our biology, we're, we're wired for a negativity bias. We're wired to see what things are wrong and we're wired to want safety for those, for ourselves and those around us. But, you know, that's an illusion, <laughs> I feel like. And, and this prescription that we're getting from someone who's, is well-meaning, but it, it's ultimately very damaging and constraining and limiting versus that potential that we all have inside us to do and be and become whatever we want in the world. You mentioned there about like creating your own life and you and you've said about like you can design your life which I find really an interesting concept because I think along with all of those those preconceived notions that we mentioned before of of society that that's kind of setting us on this path we are sort of taught that like lucky things will happen lucky and and like it's certain events that we have no control over but when you use the word like designing or creating your own life that would suggest that you have a lot more power over what is going to happen to you rather than it just being a random series of events so is is it true that we can actually design our own lives 
In fact, the lives of everyone that you respect and admire and appreciate, whether it's a, a billionaire entrepreneur, whether it's an artist that you respect and admire, or your next door neighbor who just lives in amazing integrity and always caring for the kids in the neighborhood or whatever the thing is, that was all intentional. In some way, they set out to, I'm going to be this thing. I'm going to be this way. I would, I desire this outcome. And, you know, if you sit down with Sir Richard Branson, you know, it's not just an accident that he's the founder of more than 400 businesses. Or if you sit down with Brene Brown, it's not an accident that she put her notion of vulnerability and authenticity out in the world at a time long before the world was ready for it, she took the uncomfortable step. And, and, and when you, re, you start to reconcile the fact that these lives and the heroes that we have in our culture, they intentionally set off on this thing. They didn't just, you know, they're not just a cork in the tide that suddenly found themselves on the beach of their dreams. That doesn't happen. That's a myth. And that's a myth that we've conditioned ourselves to, to teaching and to sharing because it's just convenient. And it avoids the hard reality that, you know, this is not to say that there's not privilege. I was born white and male in America in the 1970s. That's damn near every advantage you can have. But it doesn't change the fact that wherever you are, you have to take agency over your own life in order to change your circumstances. Another thing you said in the book is that you can't think your way into a new life. What do you mean by that? Well... Um, I pretty much said it all in the sentence. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I believe that we all want to get it right, right? That comes from, again, this cultural programming. And the reality of, of making a life is a messy, imperfect, imprecise, nonlinear thing. But, uh, you know, it, it's, um, I don't know. I think the sentence, like, can you repeat the sentence for me? And we'll just deconstruct it. You cannot think your way into a new life. Great. So thinking your way into anything, what action happens through thinking other than the thinking? Literally nothing. And what is the measure of life is what you do. It's not just what you think, right? And so, you know, most of us, it's inconvenient to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable. It's inconvenient to take a risk and to fail. It's inconvenient and it's hard and we, 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 often couch our inability to move forward into, again, a lack of resources, whereas what it really is is a lack of resourcefulness. What can you do with what you have now? That is a common trait around all of the highest performers in every area that I've ever studied and all of my own experiences, building businesses from scratch that now have tens of millions of users and have made hundreds of millions of dollars. Like That was not done in my head. Because one of the things that we also need to wrap our mind around is that we are largely sold in culture, we're sold a map. You know, go back to the earlier point that you, if you go to this school and you get this grades and you go to these colleges, then you're going to have this outcome. I don't know anybody whose life looks like the thing that they were sold. There's, it's non-linear, right? It's three steps forward, two steps back. It's this failure coupled with this, you know, lucky outcome covered... Uh, uh, coupled with this grueling, you know, uh, head down charging for X number of years, 10,000 hours of mastery that actually got us to where we are. So when you start to understand that it's not just this map that we need to follow, it's a compass. And the compass is a thing, if we're sold a map, 
what we really need is a compass. And a compass is not a straight line, right? A compass is you, you have to go around trees and across, you know, if you, you can't necessarily go across an ocean. You might have to go around it or not take the straight path. But if, if you listen to this compass that we're all given, which is tells us what to do in any moment, this is we, another word for it is intuition. If you can, you can't actually sit on the couch and see the true journey because you're going to be 10 feet outside your door and there's going to be something that's going to be different than what you were sold or what you thought while you were sitting on the couch. So that, that sentence is just a succinct way for preparing you for a long and winding road. But the cool thing, and you know, that's again why I wrote Creative Calling, it's a calling and you have to follow that thing. And as soon as you do start to follow it, this is where it gets so good. As soon as you do start to follow it, life starts to happen for you rather than to you. And you can only get that from being out in the wild doing these things, not from sitting there on the couch wondering what it's going to be like. You need to get out into the wild and experience the things such that you can navigate these things and start to trust yourself, trust your ability. You know, go back to the point that maybe it was Adam made earlier, just your ability to solve problems. And if you're starting small, you know, it's not just like, I want to be a billionaire. Like, yeah, so does everybody get in line. <laughs> but, you know, what's, what's the way to make your first dollar or your first pound? And, you know, then what do you do? To, how do you make 10? And then how do you make 100? Those are going from these small, you know, again, building this muscle. And that can't be done in your head on the couch. That has to be done out in the world. I think one thing, um, and you, you definitely touched on it there, something that our listeners struggle with is starting. It's just starting and um, finding the confidence to start and just procrastinating around issues that they deem to be important at the time. But actually the starting, just starting is important. And something you mentioned in the book is the importance of preparing and scheduling, working out your timelines and that sort of thing. How can you tell the difference between when you're procrastinating, you're using that time of planning to procrastinate and put things off compared to using it as useful time to actually sure. plan your work and what needs to be done? I have a 90-10 rule. 90% action, 10% planning, just to put it in the most blunt way. And that's, you can extract that from the book. But if you're wondering if it feels uncomfortable to start, you're doing it right. I just, I'm referencing my own Instagram post from this morning. <laughs> start with fear, start before you're ready, start with uncertainty, just start. Because anything other than moving forward, anything other than starting is wondering, it's supposition, it's hope. And that's not actually a great strategy, right? You have to actually start the movement and it's in the movement that, that the next stair, the next step is, is uncovered. And without it, you're basically, you're dead in the water. And it's easy to, I, I think your point is a good one. It's really easy to to couch planning as progress. But that's why I like the 90-10 rule. If you've planned for X number of hours and you haven't executed 9X that time, then you know that I think you're doing it wrong. And you know that's also why in Creative Calling, I've got a very specific framework for how to solve any creative problem and how to build the life that you want. And it's a framework idea, I-D-E-A. Imagine, design, execute and amplify. Imagine is the part where you're, maybe you do need to do a little soul searching and some of that can happen on the couch. Or if you're unsure what you want to do or be or become, then you actually have to start doing some stuff to imagine what's possible. Like we've been so constrained from an early age on what we're, what's possible for this one precious life 
that we need to be able to get out of our own head and to think big. The very next step though, the D is design and that is making a plan. And you're right to identify that people can you know, plan forever. And this is why I think this whole idea, IDEA framework, you have to do it in succession is critical because if you're just imagining and designing that's the equivalent of what you just what you, you your question that you posed but that does not lead to success or to fulfillment or i believe to happiness because then your the gap between where you are and where you want to be stays the same you never close that gap you need the third part and the fourth part the execution part and the amplification part to actually make this thing a success. And you can imagine by extension, if there's one set of the population is just, you know, an I and a D, I'm imagining and then I'm making a plan and I'm going back and, oh, it could be bigger. Oh, then I'm going to take these extra steps. And if you just live in that, that, that's, we can all understand what that would be like. But then let's flip to the other side. If you're just executing and telling store and amplifying, you're just doing the work but you're doing work towards an end that you didn't design, that you don't care about, that you didn't aspire to or set out to make this one precious life something special, or even this individual product, project, you didn't make it to be the best that it could be, then you're just doing somebody else's work. It's busy work. You know, you can say a hamster on a wheel is also busy, but you know, what is he or she doing? If you're the hamster, you're just on a wheel and that's not actually you know, moving you towards some end or dream that you have. So it's this, the way that you know is 90-10 and I prescribe very concretely in the book, imagining, designing a plan, executing this plan and then amplify, which is worth talking about for a second. That is, you know, creating a fertile ground for your ideas to thrive, whether it's with your peers, your teammates, a community that you're building online or in person. And that to me is the most often misunderstood part of it. Even for some of the hardest working people I know, they're, they have a vision and then they design a plan to execute, to do it. And then they execute against that vision. And then they put something out in the world and it's just crickets. Right? It's tumbleweeds. And they're like, well, how does, you know, Sally or Jenny or Bobby, how do they, all oh, those are such American names as <laughs> <laughs> on purpose, but how, how do they, um, like, how do they get success? And I'm doing better work, more work, all, you know, all of these things. But this is why this idea of community is so powerful because nothing happens in a vacuum. You know, I give lots of examples in the book, even a, what is perceived as a solo, an author or someone who, you know, a, a solopreneur, like the, the, the belief is that they just, you know, did this action, took it over and over and then they won. But we know if you, again, deconstruct the successes of the most successful, happy, fulfilled people, it's they created a fertile bed to receive their ideas, whether it was with their peers at work the, a community that they wanted to launch this, they participated in this community. And that ends up being a huge part of the work that they've done. It's the 10,000 hours that nobody sees. You hear someone, you know, it was an overnight success. You deconstruct that and you realize that they've been doing it for 10 years and not just doing it in their parents' basement. They've been showing up in their community, attending, you know, concerts and recitals and performances and of all of their peers. They've been in the quote industry, whatever industry it is, fill in the blank for a decade. To me, that's a really powerful thing that most people miss. Yeah, that goes back to something you said earlier. You said like build with what you have now because it's like you'll look at these people who are really, really successful and you're like, well, as soon as I get that camera, I'll start. As soon as I get 
an apartment like that, I'll start recording that. And you give you, you kind of create this vision of, well, this is what my life should look like before I even start. Whereas you don't realize, you don't see those bits beforehand of that person sat in a grotty apartment somewhere with a really bad camera, getting to learn their craft and learning it with whatever they have around them. Because it's yeah. like, if you're in a situation where you're not happy with your life, the only way you're going to get out of it is by using the tools around you to take that leap. For sure. And that is, I think it's a very common misunderstanding and it's easy to see where that comes from. And it's easy to see why so many of us default to that mode. And I think it's really important to share with your listeners right now that if what, you know, if, if what Adam just described sounds like you, it's okay. It's natural because all of the best stuff is on the other side of fear. And when you tell yourself that you don't have the right camera or the right film, the blank to start, that's a reason to postpone. I'm here to tell you, and the reason that the you know that all of us are on the call today is that we know from experience, we know from deconstructing the success of others that that's just fundamentally not true. So if you can own that for just a second and realize that starting with what you have is the most important thing, then even if your first attempt is a halting, you know, stumbling, slipshod, poor execution of the thing, you at least did something, and that's more than nothing. And this idea that you have to see the entire staircase, it's not true for anyone. No, again, we're sold a map. What we need is a compass. I just need to, I just need to go to the next step. And the, you know, often that is the first one, right? That is doing something instead of doing nothing. And if you, are, if you feel alone in that, I want you to know that that is virtually, you've described the mental pattern that everyone has gone down. Everyone at some point said, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I need to get to this point and then. And again, if you can get past that for a moment and listen to someone who's on the other side of the fear that you're experiencing right now, the thing that moved it along the fastest, the best, what was the most beneficial was doing something instead of nothing. It's funny because I feel like you don't ever see those first few steps in anyone's journey. You only see from step, say, four or five at the earliest. But most of the time you'll see things people who've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're already two flights up. It's so and I true. think a really interesting parallel to, to what Adam said is a great example in your life of where you've, you've got over that fear is when you printed your business cards to say professional photographer before you even had any professional photography equipment. I made, I, I don't know if I can say hundreds of thousands, but I made well over $100,000 with the camera that I was given that was not even close to the top of the line, not a brand that I ended up um, spending a lot of money and time with, not, a, not ideal, certainly ge- several generations old. It was given to me at the passing of my grandfather. I just suddenly had a camera instead of one that I was hoping I would someday get. I had something. And in a very imperfect, imprecise, unprofessional awkward way, I started doing something with that camera instead of doing nothing. And it was through that action, not sitting on the couch and thinking and wondering, but through taking action that I started to make my first sale as a photographer. And it was in realizing that this equipment that I was telling myself a story about was keeping me from my dreams and just tasting a teeny piece of success that I also realized that, you know what? 
Hmm. I need to shift my mindset. There's a huge piece of the book that is about mindset. I think that's a, a way that we all stumble. So if if what we're talking about describes anything that's going on in your brain right now, the listener, whether you're you know you know commuting or in traffic or God willing, you're out for a walk in nature. Everyone has been stuck, and the difference between those that stay stuck and those that move through this thing is action, imperfect, un precise, not pretty action, hopefully that will get you started. So what would you say then to those who are not struggling with necessarily equipment or or resources in that way, but struggling with time? And I think that's something that's particularly pertinent at the moment. You know, a lot of people have more time at the moment than they normally would because they've been furloughed or, you know, they don't have work as much as they normally would. A lot of people have less time than they normally would because they have partners and children at home to homeschool. What would you say to those who, are say, who would say, I, I would love to just start, but I just don't have the time? Um, it's a good Sorry. question. It's fair. <laughs> it's just, I think the answer is in the question. Just listen to it. I don't have the time. Okay. What you're really saying is fill in the blank is not a priority for me. Like if you, if you want to understand the priorities of almost any person, again, it's fair to acknowledge there are people who aren't even, you know, on the internet. And it's, it's, I think I, I try and take every moment. There's still a billion people who go without access to clean drinking water every, every day. And until that problem is solved, we need to shine a light on it. So that's my 10 second little soapbox there. But if you're listening to this, the number one way that you can understand what your priority is, is to just do a little bit of deduction track your schedule. Look how you spend like just by 15 minute increments, track your schedule for a week. You will be shocked. It will hurt you. It will be very (laughs) painfully obvious that you are not doing everything you can with what you have. The other one is how you spend your money. If you, again, uh, this goes back to the idea of resources versus resourcefulness. Most people, when I ask them to do this exercise, it's very uncomfortable. And what they return with is I have the time I have enough resources to get started. Again, just go from zero to one. You don't have to go from you know zero to a hundred, but to go from zero to one. And it's that sort of reminder, this awakening. A, it's okay. Don't worry. We've all been there. But now that you understand this and acknowledge it, what action are you going to take? Because I, it's fair to say that this is not a priority for me right now that I want to have this career path. But right now in in this COVID world, I've got, you know, two kids at home or whatever that like, it's fair. Just don't create a gap where there isn't one where I don't have time and I'll never have time. No, you're prioritizing things. And maybe that's an intelligent prioritization because you do need to make sure there's food on the table. But what more often than not, what we find is that there's, you know, how many hours a week you spending watching Netflix um, do you get up early, early when it, the house is quiet and you have an uninterrupted hour or what you, what can you do at the end of the day after you put the kids to sleep or whatever your particular situation might be? Again, when you deconstruct the schedules and the finances of people who are blocked, it, it almost always reveals that they have a lot more time than they thought they had and it comes down and, and a lot more resources than they thought they had and it comes down to a story, aka the mindset that they're walking into this conversation with themselves with. Uh, it's really important to me to, to keep, I keep coming back to this because it's often misunderstood that you're comparing your life, all of the messy details of, you know, what the inside of your car looks like and, you know, what you had for dinner last night and 
the amount of clothes on your bedroom floor, this messy, imperfect life that you have with the lives that you see on the internet or on television. And it's really important to understand that that's not an accurate comparison and that, you know, I'm sitting here with the relative success that I feel like I've found sitting on top of a mountain of failures. And I tried to capture that in the book. And when I've sat down with all of the top performers, the hundreds of them that have been on my podcast and Creative Live, it's a theme. And everyone goes through this doubt, imposter syndrome, lack of understanding of what their true vision is for themselves. These are common themes. And it's only through talking about them that we start to understand that you know, we're not alone and that it's in being vulnerable and sharing that we're stuck and asking for help or reaching out to a colleague about a book or a recommendation or a resource to get unstuck. It's like, I just, that's the most important thing for the listener right now is that you're not alone, but I'm also not going to hand you with kid gloves. You need to know that the, the, the gap between where you are and where you want to be, that's up to you. You know, now is a fantastic time as an opportunity to start. Never has there been a better time in history. The only thing that you're doing by deferring is deferring that vision that you have for your life. So I would encourage people to remember that every person's a creator, to understand that this is a muscle, that moving towards the things that you want to be and become in your life, that is a muscle, that's a habit that you develop. And then the last thing again, that you're, it's only through doing this in small, lightweight ways that you actually remind yourself you know, that you create the neural pathways in your mind that remind you that you are capable of creating anything. It's in small daily ways that you ultimately can create the arc of your life. Those are, it's a, it's a pretty simple equation, painfully simple. And that's part of what people don't like about it, right? So on that note, and to, to wrap things up here, I think that, I mean, really this, this whole, we started with the question of why are people so locked up and why are we obsessed with trying to get them unlocked? And I think there's always this certain amount of trepidation that comes along with that. And I do feel like I've spent this whole interview just quoting yourself back at you, um, but I'm going to do it again. There's something you say, which is it's never been less risky to follow our own path. And I think that would be, if you could explain what you mean by that, I think that would be the perfect way to end this. Sure. It goes back to that social programming and we are told that the, that pursuing our dreams is risky. And I've always tried to say, you know, juxtapose that to what? Like it's risky relative to what? Relative to doing, you know, spending an entire life doing something that you didn't really care about that other people suggested you ought to do in order to provide illusory, illusory safety. You know, it's when you, when you actually break down the what, they're asking you to do something that is not passionate, it's not a part of your heart. And who is the they? It's just this ambiguous pool of people. And that at the end of human life, the number one regret of the dying, not number 10 or not in the top 10, or the number one is that they didn't actually pursue their vision of their life. They let other people's visions cloud the one that they have for themselves. So I always like to say it's the riskiest time for playing it safe or like it's never been more risky to not do the thing that you're supposed to do on this planet. Because again, what's the alternative at the end of your life, you're looking back and you didn't actually, you know, pursue, it's not even achieve or it's, it's pursue. There's so much power and energy and passion and inertia in pursuing something that, that is an area of interest or hope or desire or where you're truly emotionally, psychologically, physically invested. There's nothing like it. 
And so it's a pretty easy juxtaposition when you really distill it that we're just not told that. We're told that that taking a job that that is a quote safe and nine to five, like we're just about to realize that, oh, all of those safe nine to five jobs where we showed up at a bank, most of those are going to be gone after this and they're going to be gone forever. So you spend so much time pursuing this stuff. Why not make it something that you care about? And as soon as you start to apply yourself in these areas where you have deep, real connection, purpose, passion, that's when it becomes good. And you felt this for a moment. That's the cool thing is even if you felt it for 10 minutes, you were around a certain group of people, you were focused on something that meant something to you, you felt it even if it was just for 15 minutes or maybe it was a section or a piece or a time in your life, you can look back to that. And here's the cool thing, that that feeling is available to you right now, but you have to do more of the thing that gave you that feeling and less of the thing that is prescribed by people who are telling you that you're one precious life. It's so risky to pursue it. That's just hogwash. Boom, drop the mic. Do, 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 yeah, do, um, you, end, <laughs> do you end a podcast on the word hogwash? I don't, I don't <laughs> you, you do now. Um, yeah. Chase, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Our listeners always know that. Well, we've we've never had a complaint on a book recommendation that we've uh, given before. So awesome. um, we do truly. Um, I, I was pissed off when I read the book, man. If I'm tr- truly honest with you, because I was like, <laughs> "Fuck, I was supposed to write this book. It's so <laughs> annoying, you bastard." So I'm going to have to really, really get creative now because there, there's there's so much of what I wanted to say was in this book. So it's it's an incredible piece of work. So thank you. Um, oh, could you let pleasure. our listeners Thanks. know where they can find you online? And, and Sure. Um, right now, I think depending on when this drops, you can get the creative calling for either $1.99 or $2.99. And I think that's if it just Amazon is doing a promotion with the publisher. So in a time where resources might be leaner than others, if you can't spend $1.99 or a pound ninety nine on yourself in order to help you get unstuck, you know, what what are you doing? Yeah, spending you know, $10 skills. in your Netflix account, you can spend Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, you know, that's, to me, the number one prescription is to pick up a copy of Creative Calling. Um, a really helpful analogous resource is Creative Live, which is a, a company where the world's top creators and entrepreneurs go to teach. I'm the founder of that thing. It's where tens of millions of people pursue their passions. There's a thriving community there. There's thousands of hours, like 12,000 hours of classes and 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's free content there for you if you can't afford to buy a class or to subscribe. Um, so those two places, and, and I'm just Chase Jarvis on the internet, Instagram, all the other places at C-H-A-S-E-J-A-R-V-I-S. And uh, the same with Creative Live. So I'd encourage people to check out those resources. Thanks so much. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Coming soon. Yeah, it's good to see your faces. Keep doing, you know, just a quick, quick word about you all. Love what you are doing. Keep doing it. This, this act, the creative rebellious act of putting something out in the world that you want to see that wasn't there before you did it. That's what makes the world go round. So thanks for doing what you all do. Thanks so much for listening get any value from these episodes it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it you can always reach out to us on instagram at rebels create or head over to creativerebels.co and remember always be creating see ya